For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. It's May 6th, 1889, and another remarkable event is about to be uncovered by Aria, Rebecca, and Ali, the Retrospectors. So it was on this day that the Eiffel Tower opened, or sort of, because although the commemorative medals had already been struck with this date, 6th of May 1889, it still wasn't actually quite finished. Crucially, the lifts hadn't been perfected yet. There'd been a preview for a select handful of politicians and journalists a couple of months earlier, but they had had to walk all the way up to the top of the tower because the lifts weren't ready. So actually, on this first official day of its opening, the tower did not receive any visitors. But let's not be too picky, because... (laughs) They did get it constructed in two years, two months and five days, which is truly incredible if you cross-reference our prior episode, The Tunnel Under the Thames, Mm. which took 18 years to build. Um, And also, this building process had been high above Paris for the whole city to see. Mm. Uh, The journalist Emile Godot described watching the workers hammering out the metal with the accompanying sparks that came down as, quote, reaping lightning bolts in the clouds. So it had been under close inspection. Everyone had seen this thing go up. And the fact that with all that pressure, and this, after all, was to commemorate a century since the French Revolution, big deal, um, I think it's amazing they managed to get it open on the day they said they would. Though that scrutiny also came with a fair dollop of criticism and there were loads of people who did not like what they were seeing as it went up. A bunch of writers each almost seemed to be competing with one another to insult it the worst. One described it as this truly tragic street lamp. Another one called it (laughs) this belfry skeleton. Uh, Another called it this mast of iron gymnasium apparatus. Incomplete, confused and deformed. So people were really not necessarily liking what they were seeing. And it does make me think about, you know, the, so the Centennial Committee had chosen this plan out of more than 100 designs that had been submitted. And I always do want to see all of the things that didn't make the cut because the buildings that we know and love seem kind of inevitable. You know, it's inevitable mm. that the Eiffel Tower is the thing that dominates the skyline of Paris. But actually, it could have been all range of things. And I'd love to see some of those other designs. Well, there was some serious funny business going on with the selection process because Gustave Eiffel of In Eiffel France. Tower fame, well, I know. I just, sound very likely. Let, let, I'll, I'll just describe what happened, and you can draw your own conclusion as to if there was any funny business. So Gustave <laughs> Ophel was already quite famous, and his engineering firm had already been involved in loads of high-profile projects, and they'd actually built several buildings already for the Exposition Universelle, which was the World's Fair of 1889. So what happened was they had all of these submissions, and then halfway through the process they changed the rules to require entrants to submit a plan for a 300 meter tall metal tower and guess who won <laughs> Gustave Eiffel's idea for a 300 meter metal tower although baked into that commissioning process was the acknowledgement that this may not be popular because uh, part of the criteria for being green lit as the choice for the Paris World Exhibition was that it could all be dismantled in two decades time 
which indeed the Eiffel Tower obviously wasn't, but could be. Mm. Um, so it was all constructed with rivets and uh, it was all constructed on site. So it was even more complex to build because it's kind of a world first, not only the tallest man-made structure ever, but the first to ever be built in that weird way because theoretically it was all going to come down again. Because you've got to bear in mind from the perspective of the time that the then tallest structure was the Washington Monument, which was 169 metres tall. So you're looking at something that's almost double that height. So there were there were questions about whether it could actually feasibly be built or not. But strangely enough, considering it would go on to bear his name, Eiffel himself wasn't really that interested at first. The original design was by a pair of engineers, Maurice Couchelin and Emile Nuguier. They came up with the uh, initial idea. But their version was a bit more bare bones. It was quite spartan, quite industrial. And and Eiffel actually thought it was pretty underwhelming. But he worked with an architect called Stephen Sauvestre to add more decorative flourishes and add the little bit on the top, you know, the little... You know uh, what this really needs? This this really needs my name on it. (laughs) Forever. What is it with these French people? We're talking about Coco Chanel yesterday, doing exactly the same thing. Just get someone else to design this thing. And they'll be like, yeah, this is nearly good. But what what it definitely needs to be named after me forever. That's, That's the thing that I can bring to this. But also his response to his critics was so kind of measured. It was the response of someone who knew that I guess he was onto something. So he said, uh, are we to believe that because one is an engineer, one is not preoccupied with the beauty of one's constructions, or that one does not seek to create elegance as well as solidity, as well as durability? So he was kind of like, Okay, look, I can see what you're saying. This is quite different to the other stuff that is already in Paris, but that doesn't mean that it's inferior. And yes, it looks, I mean, when you really think about it, it it does look like an engineer's project. It's, you know, it's big and quite harsh. It's quite brutalist, really. But at the same time, I think that its transparency does recommend it. And, and I think he's not wrong that it that there is beauty in its construction. Because it's, I mean, obviously, you know, spoiler, went on to be the world's most visited paid for tower and is still hugely popular and is seen as romantic. That's the word people, I think, most readily associate with Paris, isn't it? Because of all the other things that were there in this period, but then also the Eiffel Tower. The Eiffel Tower has seamlessly become part of romantic Paris. And that's so interesting when, as you say, like if you looked at it objectively, maybe you would use a word like brutalist rather than romantic. And it's certainly easy to understand if you're a Parisian living at the time. I mean, it's not like Paris is short of iconic buildings. You know, we've already got the Louvre and the Sacré-Cœur and Notre-Dame. Like, there's plenty there. So you you can see how it would have just seemed ridiculous, the idea that the city needed a 300-metre metal tower. I mean, you mentioned writers objecting to it. Area and a bunch of them actually got together and signed an open letter again trying to top the, the invective that had already been levelled <laughs> on the project where they wrote, imagine for a moment a giddy ridiculous tower dominating Paris like a gigantic black smokestack crushing under its barbaric bulk Notre Dame, the Tour Saint-Jacques, the Louvre the Dome of Les Invalides, the Arc de Triomphe and they called it a hateful column of bolted sheet metal <laughs> <laughs> Well Eiffel himself embraced the ideas of progress and futurism that the exposition was all about and he built into the tower a meteorology lab on the third floor where first of all he performed studies in physics and aerodynamics and so on and actually he built a wind tunnel there but then he opened the doors to other scientists to use for their experiments and that is the place where cosmic rays were discovered what's also cool is that he built himself an office on the top level which is the ultimate power play really isn't it i mean that's even better than trump tower office at the top (laughs) of the eiffel tower when you are eiffel yeah Um, a bit less convenient if you want to pop out for a coffee, I imagine. Um, but you can now, as part of the tour of the Eiffel Tower, see the office. It's got a rather kind of unconvincing waxwork of Thomas Edison because he was uh, one of the notorious scientists that uh, 
Eiffel gave a private tour to, and the apartment was reported to be, quote, furnished in the simple style dear to scientists. <laughs> <laughs> we have chintzy furniture. It's okay. Come and have a look. <laughs> it does look particularly unwelcoming. It's like two metres by two metres. Why don't we talk about what Eiffel achieved from that office at the top, which was to convince the authorities not to dismantle the tower after a limited amount of time. Yeah, it was being used as a radio transmitter. This was in 1909, so there weren't radio broadcasts of music and audio. They were using radio waves to send telegrams. So it was because it was useful in that sense that they actually gave the tower its reprieve, even though by 1909 it was already famous around the world. I'm kind of impressed with the idea that they they were still keen to go ahead and dismantle it, as agreed. Hitler also ordered that the Eiffel Tower should be torn down, but the order was never followed through. And in fact, French resistance fighters got a sort of form of revenge prior to the arrival of Nazis in town, where they cut the elevator's cables so that the Nazis were forced to climb the stairs to hoist their flag at the top. <laughs> and the first version of the swastika that they that they tried to um, fly from the top of the Eiffel Tower blew away and they had to get a smaller one and put that up instead. <laughs> and it did prove to be a bit of a star attraction at the exposition as well. There was a, a carnival atmosphere around the new tower. It was lit up at night. They had it beaming out the, the tricolore light as well. Which of course was a big deal just electricity, just electric lights were a big deal. <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah. So it yeah. must have looked incredible as well, coming from a building that was twice as tall as anything else that had been built so far. And they'd set up a post office at the very top. This is once they got the lifts working, uh, where you could buy your souvenir postcards. You could post them so that they'd be postmarked from the Eiffel Tower. And actually Le Figaro, one of France's major newspapers still existing, it, they set up a printing press in the tower to print oh, these souvenir cool. editions. It's called Figaro de la Tour and you could go and buy your special edition. <laughs> there too so they they did make a huge deal of it but actually it didn't get as many visits as you might expect because although the expo lasted six months and attracted 32 million visitors of those just under two million actually went up the eiffel tower i can't believe how nitpicky you're being today (laughs) honestly you didn't quite get it open exactly on the day when they said it was only two million people went up a massive tower in 1889 one reason obviously being that nothing like this had been built before and i think the average person would be a bit nervous i mean i know people i I know people who were nervous Mm. to go up the eiffel tower now but also while admission to the world's fair was only 40 centimes you had to pay an extra five francs to climb the tower so it would have been out of reach of a lot of the visitors well one of the people who may have paid those five francs was sir john bickerstaff the mayor of blackpool who went along to the (laughs) exposition in 1889 and he was so impressed by the whole business that he had a similar tower built it's good but you need a tram yeah (laughs) he looked around he was like this but worse this but worse (laughs) and smaller (laughs) next time So these crown jewels that he was stealing were actually new jewels, hot off the press. Love the show? Support the show. Patreon.com slash Retrospectors. Part of the ACAST Creator Network.